podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hello, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association and thank you for joining us today for our podcast entitled, Instruction Without a Framework is Like a Body Without Bones. And today I have Philip J. Ward with us. Philip, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Philip, I have an incredible resume in front of me, and we were just talking about it. You have had a lot of experience in distance learning and e-learning, and actually I know you just authored a textbook. We're all going to look for it. Is it out on the market yet? Oh, yes, it is. It's published by the Troy Bookmakers in Troy, New York, and uh, actually now I'm working with Hazleton, too, who's also interested in publishing the text as well. Great. And the title is? Uh, Orientation to Experience an Educational Map for Addictions Treatment Professionals. I know in looking at your resume and also in just our discussions that you've worked with the Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services as an addictions program specialist, and that's in that's in New York, right? The Westchester, yes. West, I'm sorry, Westchester County. And then you're also working in collaboration with uh, Empire State College, where you're an adjunct instructor, and some of your classes, I note, are everything from chemical addiction theory and practices to grief and loss and adolescent addictions. And then you're also an adjunct professor at Hudson Valley Community College in New York. So those are some great colleges. And I know you also have a Master of Social Work from the State University of New York at Albany, and also your BA in Community and Human Services from Empire State College. So you've been very busy, and I'm just speaking with you over the last half hour. I also found out that you are a black belt. So uh, congratulations on all of your accomplishments, and I'm very excited to speak with you about your topic. I love your title. What precipitated the title? Learning without a framework is like a body without bones, as I just thought about a body being just like an amorphous blob, and about how the purpose of bones or a skeletal structure is to provide a you know some sort of a continuity where there's a forward movement so what it you know what it really does is the only way you can sort of walk around in things is if you have an internal structure and really I think it's a perfect metaphor for talking about the internal structure that drives a course and gives a course or any type of coursework consistency and the thesis of my work really the main idea behind the work is that effective instruction requires instructional consistency and the instructional framework or the instructional design is what provides that consistency and so that is the metaphor of the uh, body without bones and I found that most quite often you know it's a really simple thing to think about but truthfully oftentimes people don't have an instructional framework or philosophy behind the work that they're doing and so what I say is if you don't have an instructional framework behind your instruction then the only thing you can be sure of 
is that you're speaking. I know you have so much experience in alcoholism and substance abuse and youth and how did you actually get involved with your work in the area of distance learning? Got involved in my work in the area of distance learning is I was a trainer for eight years for the Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services in New York State and I trained over 40 different curricula throughout the state and I was involved also in a lot of instructional design developing curricula for the state and I began to work for Empire State College in 2003. One of the things that I first did is I uh, was invited to design a course and when I moved from being a synchronous trainer to moving into the asynchronous world is I wondered can asynchronous learning or online learning provide the same results or can it be an effective medium for instruction and so what I did is that sent me on a quest and I spent in the beginning two years reading everything I could find studying all the literature to try to answer that basic question and what I found out is that regardless of the instructional platform or the medium of delivery the instructional design is what determines the effectiveness of the instruction regardless of whether it's in a synchronous or an asynchronous environment. Could you explain the main idea behind your work? Yeah, the main idea behind the work is the necessity and what I'm hoping in my presentation this week to set forth is the necessity for an instructional framework. And we think about instructional frameworks such as like lesson plans and things but it's sort of like my idea goes a bit further than that when it and it really talks about the values behind the instruction the uh, philosophy behind the instruction and then the actual mechanics behind the instruction and really setting a standard and what happens with when you set standards and you have a specific framework is that it's measurable you can have metrics and so you can identify so there's objectives for the instructor, there's objectives for the students, and so each individual participant can determine whether they're effectively meeting the goals or the, the needs that they have in the course. How is this idea actually put into practice? Could you describe what the model looks like? Absolutely. Well, what I did is I built a course on adolescent and addictions is the title uh, for Empire State College. And the course came about as a reaction to what I found is that, and the research showed, that there's a gap between the best practice research and what is actually occurring in the field. So the, the main objective of this course, and so when I talk about my instructional framework, is knowing my audience. And the purpose of the course is to provide a bridge to get the research to the field. And so individuals in the field, like in an adolescent chemical dependency treatment, traditionally adolescents have always been consistently treated as little adults rather than as adolescents and having their own unique treatment needs you know, because they're in a developmental stage. One of the values behind it is the whole idea of research. And so it isn't generalized opinion, it's, it's research-based information. And just briefly, so what we do is I in initially provide, and this is somewhat different because it's sort of unique to the audience and it's unique to the subject of study, which is addictions treatment. So the map, it goes like this, is first of all to provide a clear instructional map. When we talk about adult learning theory, 
adults like to know why they're doing it and why it's relevant. One of the things when we talk about an instructional map is the research shows that only people that are an extremely advanced learners or experts in their field have a great ability to self-instruct or to guide themselves. And so people need frameworks or instructional maps to guide them. And so the first thing I do is I lay everything out in the framework, in this particular framework, with an instructional map. And the instructional map really is comprised of the tools and activities that'll be used to gain the knowledge and the skills and the attitudes. And we talk about attitudes of course, you know, knowledge is theoretical, skills are the competency base, the specific competencies and the attitudes have to do with affective learning and the critical importance of working with people on an affective realm. And so then from there I establish what learning is and the students are given tools to assess their own progress. So there's measurable goals and objectives. And really what I do with the students is I, I have a great discussion. I think oftentimes professors talk about what is critical thinking. And what I do is I take the concept of critical thinking and I give them specific examples so they can measure their own learning. And the idea of critical thinking is presented to them through Bloom's taxonomy. What I'm attempting to do is to get students not, not what to think, not the information, because I think they'll probably forget 20% of it the next week but how to think. I want to give them frames for processing information. I do that and the idea is supporting their intellectual development. So there's three primary theories behind the framework. One is adult learning theory because we're working with adults. Number two is competency-based education which is perfect for asynchronous learning because it's not time-bound and it's about learning specific competencies. And then we also talk about Bloom's taxonomy. Robert Gagne's instructional design theory is another specific theory that drives this. Now according to adult learning theory, adults have a drive for personal responsibility and so adults, as, as the research shows, you know, consistently are going to be involved in some sort of learning activity whether they're in school or not. And so the idea is to give adults the tools and so the final theory that's involved is anchored learning theory. And so what I do by presenting an anchor is giving them a scenario or a concept that they can use and what it does is they can work that concept through as they're going through the course and what that does is that establishes it establishes relevance to the student why is this relevant what can they do with this in their practical daily life so the student in this model is the one that's primarily responsible for their own instruction and what my goal is to give them the tools and the instructor's goal my goal is to facilitate it is not a top-down or a bottom-up approach. It really is a straight-across approach. And that straight-across approach is really based in Martin Buber's dialogic principle. The idea of I'm instructing a human being. It's not an authoritarian approach where I'm looking to impart knowledge. I'm a guide on the side rather than a sage on the stage is the idea. And then the other piece that it's grounded in is the whole idea of Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed and the idea of giving people or empowering people through education. And so the objective is to provide a sound and navigable process, not simply convey information. And the idea behind it is in an asynchronous learning environment is that we're teaching on parallel tracks. So there's multiple tracks. And so what I'm trying to get work with people to do is to read, write, think, process information, and articulate. So synthesis, analysis, and evaluation, we talk about Bloom's taxonomy. And what I'm doing is giving people those simple tools 
to work with as academics in their academic career, which of course has a parallel process in their everyday life and being able to say something like, this is my main point, this is why it's valid, and this is a summary of it, and just being able to articulate verbally and in writing what their perspective is. So that's an intellectual orientation that we work with folks. And then the second one is a holistic frame of inquiry. It's looking at things from different angles of inquiry. And so we're moving beyond what learning is in the framework into instilling intellectual values, intellectual attitudes, and different types. And so one of the intellectual values is the whole idea of the value of empirically grounded information. And so one of the things I say to the students is the need to challenge everything they think, feel, hear, see, and do. Another intellectual value is the importance of looking at things from a systems perspective or system cybernetic. And so the different varying angles of inquiry, I look at it as a student, as a mother, as a member of the community. So what we do is when we have our scholarly discourse, we look at it from all different angles. The process is grounded also in the concept of cyclical or circular learning rather than linear learning. And with the circular learning, we use the concept of Hegel's dialectic, of the thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And so students are consistently challenged to take a look at or to challenge their own thesis statements or their own worldviews. And so what I'm looking to do is to help students expand their intellectual horizon or their ability or you know, to, to make learning more exciting. I'm more interested in getting people interested in learning and passionate about learning than I am in giving them information. And what I'm trying to do is to help them avoid, by expanding, help them avoid being trapped by egocentrism, ethnocentrism, dogmatism, or those sort of rigid frameworks. And so the idea is that objectivity requires uh, an awareness of one's own perspectives, awareness of one's own biases, a need to consider all contextual variables. And so the idea ultimately is to generalize theory into practice and into other areas of their life. So the idea here with the competencies is to take the clinical competencies, the theories, and to put them into practical application. So education is the communication and application is putting that communication or those tools into action. So that's a semi-brief <laughs> overview of the framework and some of the theories. And as you can tell from listening to that, that's several years worth of work. Absolutely, what an impressive model. What evidence supports the validity of this model? The evidence that supports the validity of the model is that Every aspect of the model is a synthesis of the best practice research for distance learning and distance education. So the evidence that also supports it is the evidence that supports it's like people cannot argue or do not argue with the concept of Knowles adult learning theory. We're teaching adults and so it's based on adult learning theory. Competency-based education has been proven and so when you work with people and they're going to go into a job, especially with adults, they want to learn specific competencies. And so evidence that supports the validity is that the entire thing is grounded in theory. And I think having a theoretical grounding and having a research-based grounding provides validity. And the other thing that provides validity is the efficacy statements presented by the students and I've been collecting data since 2003 
and I plan to do a quantitative analysis and present a peer-reviewed paper which demonstrates further the validity of the, of the work. You mentioned theorists. Who actually are the primary theorists and theories that have been used to develop your model? You know, I talked about John Knowles. I talked about adult learning theory. But for me, I think when you develop things, it's important to have values. And for me, you know, my values are grounded in the work of people like Martin Buber and the dialogic principle and, and what Buber talks about. I say, am I sitting across the table from an object or a label or a projection from my own mind or am I sitting across the table from a person? And so that's the I-thou versus the I-it. And so Martin Buber has greatly, as an educator, influenced my perspective. And what Buber talks about, Carl Rogers also talked about this in the 1950s, is the dialogic principle about how instructors are ones that can facilitate an environment, can create an environment and facilitate where learning can occur. It's like I'm not the expert who's going to wave my magic wand and part my, my great knowledge. What I'm looking to do is authentically engage in a dialogue with someone and that's the dialogic principle and help them through that dialogue to shift their worldviews. And so that's an entirely different orientation to traditional education where there's an authority imparting knowledge. And then the other person that I've been profoundly influenced by is Paulo Freire. And the I think it's one of the greatest texts written on education is Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And I would really encourage everyone to to read that because it's a different orientation to education. And I think it's more of a humanist and uh, more an actually a realistic framework and I think if you look at its connection it's directly in sync with like adult learning theory and how adults best learn. Thank you for that resource. Could you also explain how your work is tied to the concept of praxis? The concept of praxis, I think people generally define praxis as practice and Paulo Freire talks about praxis meaning value-driven practice is the way that Paolo Freire defines it and I myself take more for how Karl Marx defined praxis and what Marx talked about is every action has an outcome and what Marx talked about is to paraphrase the purpose of all your actions should be the liberation or the shifting of society so with my adult learning and that's the value of the systems perspective and we talk about praxis is like I have an expectation that through educating people, like I have people from all over the country and as far away as the United Arab Emirates who now are educated in the, in the latest research on uh, adolescent chemical dependence treatment. And so my idea is that once I put that ripple in the pond is that I'll be able to impact individual environments and impact individuals and impact families and impact neighborhoods and then ultimately impact communities in the entire society and so that's the idea of liberation and it's like thinking not just at facilitating learning with an individual student but what is the long-term outcome or impact of that education upon the greater society and what are the values that drive it. I know you've been selected to do a presentation at the National Conference of the United States Distance Learning Association. What do you expect, what do you hope that the audience will take away from your presentation? To think before they act, 
is my ultimate goal and not automatically assume. My belief is that when we come from school, oftentimes we're not taught as instructors how to develop a framework that is based on our individual philosophy and to think about, well, how do I impart knowledge? You know, how do I engage in a dial authentic dialogue with people? How do I assess that learning has occurred? How do I meet them where they're at? And really what I hope to do is to give folks, to engage in a dialogue with folks around tools that can help them to be more effective instructors. And I, I hope that people walk away with understanding the necessity of an instructional framework. And finally, that understanding that regardless of the medium of delivery of the instructional platform, the instructional design is the key piece to the effectiveness of learning. I'm sure you have a lot of future plans. Could you share with us some of those plans or directions? My next project is to collate the data and to develop a peer-reviewed article regarding this uh, educational framework. And then my other project, which I'm going to be next working on, is the concept of orientation to experience, which is developing an addiction-specific theoretical framework for treatment. Most of the treatment frameworks used in the addictions field are psychotherapeutic frameworks which are overlaid on the addictions world. And what I've developed is a theoretical construct which is based on Vedic psychology and the dialogic principle as an addiction specific frame. And so what I'm going to do is to develop a, a second textbook and this sec second textbook won't be on educational theory, it'll be on effective addictions treatment based on those principles. I'm sure you faced a lot of challenges. What were they or what do you see future challenges are going to be and how are you going to address them? Well, one of the things I'm really excited about is the opportunity to speak with you because one of the primary challenges that I've faced is I think being viewed as obscure having theory and intellectual inquiry viewed as like a 20th century or a 19th century concept and so one of the great difficulties that I've had is being able to communicate with people in a way that they can understand and take away and so really one of the things I think that I'm continuing to work with continuing to attempt to do is to disseminate my information because I believe wholeheartedly in the validity of my information and the value it can bring to people, but the difficulty is communication. And so that's what I continue to do and my other challenge is to do what I'm most passionate about, which is to empower people, to become empowered and to fully be themselves. Phil, thank you very much for joining us here today. I'm sure there are people who will want to get in touch with you. I was wondering if you could share your contact information. Absolutely. I'm located in upstate New York. My email address is pward at nycap, N-Y-C-A-P dot R-R dot com. And I have a website. It's uh, philipjward.com. It's an adjunctive tie into my textbook orientation to experience and so that's my contact information. Thank you Phil very much. This is Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association and if you would like to find out more information about USDLA you can find us at 
www.usdla.org. Thank you very much and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.